Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon series I did on the Gospel of Luke. I hope you enjoy. Good morning. Uh, my name is Rob Dunlop. I'm the pastor here at Northminster. It's good to see you all this morning. And uh, that's a good song to be singing right now as we uh, uh, are going to be continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke this morning. We're on the parable of the sower, which I think is perhaps one of the most significant stories or parables of teachings of Jesus uh, to understand the entire New Testament, but also understand the life of the church today. And, and I think it's going to be really difficult it's going to be something to grapple with. We've been doing this series now on the Gospel of Luke for a number of months, on uh, which we've titled, you know, Who is This Man? And what we've been finding out is this man's radical. This Jesus' call, this Jesus' uh, uh, message and mission is a radical call. And I think we've become so content and complacent in the church for the last hundred years or more now that we've kind of missed a lot of the radicalness of Jesus. And sometimes... When we start realizing this radical call of Jesus, it, it kind of rubs us the wrong way sometimes, let's be honest. Um, so I want to thank you all for letting me go away last weekend. I was at my son's, plural, graduations, plural. Uh, we were in um, Phoenix on Thursday for Jared's graduation. His girlfriend, uh, Morgan, graduated Thursday night. Um, and then Friday night, we flew to Sacramento and, and celebrated with Jordan. And many of you know Jordan. Uh, as he graduated, and that's like a major hallelujah right there. Um, uh, by the way, they both graduated from college, but uh, Jordan's two years older, so you can see why well, that's a major um, uh, hallelujah right there. But Jordan graduated with a bachelor's in Bible and theology, and he began his job at uh, a church in Oakland as a youth director last Sunday. Uh, so this is actually his first Sunday officially. He was introduced last Sunday. Uh, so Jordan is uh, doing ministry. We want to thank you all for your support for Jordan and everything else as well. Only one more graduation to go. In two weeks, Justin graduates. Then next month, Jordan gets married. And then, it can, uh, yeah, it doesn't stop. So uh, we're excited. I want to encourage you, by the way, that uh, next week, Dave Hatfield will be here. Um, and I'll be here as well. But Dave will be preaching. And, and if you don't know Dave, Dave is the uh, director of Masha uh, Mapia Preschool. Uh, maybe you've heard Dave speak a number of times now here. I uh, started a preschool in Kenya, and he did this out of his own pocket. Um, and very little support, very little few churches are supporting him. Uh, there's some kids that live in the dumps, uh, and they literally live in the dumps. Um, and Dave said, these kids have no chance of going to school because they don't have any income, they, have no, they can't afford a uniform, they can't afford tuition, Who's, you know, an and so Dave started a preschool for them. Um, and, has been, and now he says, these kids get out of preschool, they got nowhere to go, I want to make my school go all the way, all the way through eighth grade. And so uh, he is doing unbelievable work there. So Dave's going to have the opportunity to come uh, uh, next week. And I want to encourage you to, um, to be prepared for Dave's message. And, and, and in all honesty, by the way, bring a checkbook because uh, the money ain't coming to us. It's going to go to Dave and his preschool and these kids in Kenya. So uh, we want to encourage you for that as well. Uh, one other update as well. We had um, Presbytery yesterday. Uh, and it was a, a dynamic time. Uh, uh, nothing major is going on there. Uh, I think... Uh, uh, um, if there's any other updates, I had to leave early because we had the, the Grove meeting last night. So there's one update that I might uh, get some information on you. It's all good. But everything was great. We had a great time. Gracie, Laura, and I went. Um, a great time of some training and education there as well. And we had 23 people at the Grove last night. Uh, so that was great as well. And if you have your Bibles, open them up to page 791 or Luke chapter 8. Luke 
chapter 8. As I said at the beginning, I think this parable of Jesus that we read earlier in the service that we're going to look at now is perhaps one of the most important parables of Jesus that he, that he tells. I think it's one of the most significant parables for understanding the New Testament, um, for understanding the book of Revelation, for example, but all, the entire New Testament. But I also think it's one of the most important parables for understanding even the church today. Um, now, with that being said, this is not going to be an easy one. And one of the reasons why it's not going to be an easy one is because we all are going to listen to the story from our own perspective. And we're not in the same place. So as soon as I say this, you're going to hear this, and you're going to hear this, and you're going to hear this, and I've got to do my job to clarify things. All right. So in fact, I'll be totally honest with you. If you actually want to raise your hand, say, Rob, clarify, you know, we can take, we can make this a, 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 a back and forth and not even a traditional sermon if, if we need to. Uh, one of the problems I think we have in reading the parable of Jesus as, as um, much of the New Testament is, is this, is that we read the New Testament in, in the Bible, we read it through a modern consumerist mindset. We, we've been taught to be consumers. We go to church to consume. We were taught that, uh, that I need a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior and if I accept Jesus, I, you know, then, then I won't go to hell. We've been sold a package. And, and not that it's wrong, but... But a lot of Christianity and a lot of the church today is a consumerism. And, what is this? And, and so what we do when we go to the parable is we go immediately, what does this mean for me? And when we read the parable of the four soils, we immediately go, which soil am I? Right? How do I know I'm the good one? Right? I, I, that, you know, a, a common question that we might ask. All right. To answer the question, uh, I think we have an, a, 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 something very important, and that is this. We need to first figure out what this parable is doing in the Gospel of Luke. See, oftentimes when we read the Bible, we go, we take a story or a parable and, and, and we, we look at it as a, as a complete entity all to itself, taking, like, as if it didn't matter if it was in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John's Gospel. We just take it out and we go, okay, here's what it says, and then immediately here's what it means for me. And I think it's extremely important that we understand, especially this parable, in light of what does it mean in the Gospel of Luke. So let me remind ourselves what we've been discussing. For those of you uh, who have been here, it's review. And for those of you who have not been here, I'll bring you up to speed. The Gospel of Luke is telling us the story of Jesus as the King. Jesus is the King. It begins with the birth of John the Baptist and the story of, Mary, of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And John the Baptist is being described in the story along the lines of the story of Samuel in the Old Testament. And Samuel in the Old Testament is a prophet who anoints David the king of Israel. And David is the king of Israel. So John the Baptist is like Samuel who anoints David, and so John the Baptist anoints Jesus, meaning Jesus is the new king of Israel. Jesus comes into the kingdom of Israel and he proclaims the kingdom of God is among you. Luke chapter 4, he goes into a synagogue in Nazareth and he says, good news, the kingdom of God has come and here's what it looks like. It's good news to the poor. It's, I'm going to proclaim liberty for the captives. Uh, the, the blind are going to receive sight and the dead are going to rise again. Now this is not really what the kingdom of uh, uh, of the Jewish world, what, what they were expecting. They, they wanted a, a political king. So we even see, uh, as I think we did a couple weeks ago, where John the Baptist comes and says, you know, hey, wait a minute. Are you actually the king or not? Because I thought, this is what the kingdom was going to look like. Power. Control. Overthrowing Rome. Liberty for the Jewish nation. 
Uh, but you're doing all these things over here. Jesus goes on to say, look, in my kingdom, it's going to be blessed are the poor and woe to you who are rich. Blessed are you who are hungering now and woe to you who are well fed now and blessed are you who are persecuted now and woe to you who, when all men speak well of you. And we begin to grapple. Well, Jesus, what are you doing? What, what's the nature of this kingdom? I, I, I don't understand what, what, what's going on. You know, you know, what do you mean? Then in chapter 8, he tells the parable. Parable of the sower. And he says at the end of the parable that Mark read earlier, he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And one of the things that Jesus does often with the use of parables is this. He says, what I just said was kind of a code. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not for, if you don't want to know what I said, then that's fine, we're done. But if you want to know what it means, if you have ears to hear, let them hear. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. So the disciples come to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, okay, great. Neat story. Like birds eating seeds. That's like really cool. What does it mean? We don't get it. So verse 11 in, Mark, in Luke chapter 8. Verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable, Jesus says. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. Those in the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed in the good soil stands for those with a noble heart, a noble and a good heart, who hear the word of God, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar, uh, in a clay jar, and put, or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand, so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what, he th what they think they have, will be taken from them. Now, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. But they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. And he replied, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now, I continued reading, you might have noticed. Because another thing that we often do is we think, okay, here's the parable, here's the explanation of the parable, we're done. But Luke doesn't work that way. Notice the next verse here, which, um, sorry about that, Did my slides get all messed up on you, I'm sorry. All right, uh, verse 22, look at verse 22 for just a moment, Luke 8, 22. Now, on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, well, the reason why I point that slide out, or that verse out is this. In the Gospel of Luke, when he's done with a section, he'll change the scenery. Jesus and his disciples, then they went to this village and went over there and met these people. You now know it's a new scene. Luke is telling us when we're transitioning from this story to this. So when the parable ends, he keeps on going. So in verse uh, uh, 17, uh, uh, 16, it says, No one lights a lamp and hides it under a clay jar. You're thinking, well, that's something else. It's not. It's the same story continuing on. Let me see if I can explain Verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Jesus says, I'm casting out the word of God. And it's going to fall on four types of soil. And the four types of soil represent four types of people who will hear the word of God. First off, in verse 12, are those who are along the path. 
They hear the word of God, but it doesn't sink in at all. The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. They're not listening. They don't receive the word with joy. Or they, just, they might have heard it, but they're done. They do not have ears to hear. They're done. Okay, great. The first soil, then, is the ones who do not even want to listen. They don't want to listen. They don't want to hear it. They want a certain kind of king and a certain kind of kingdom, and Jesus isn't preaching that kind of king or kingdom, so they're done with Jesus. The second soil, verse 13, are those in the rocky ground, and they're the ones who receive the word with joy uh, when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. So the second seed is the seed on the rocky soil, and they'll fall away because the time of testing comes. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, this parable is recorded there as well. And in Mark's Gospel, it says that they fall away because of trouble or persecution. You see, it's not just testing. It's, it's, pers it's suffering. It's persecution. They initially liked the Gospel. They initially liked what Jesus had to say. But they didn't realize that they had to suffer for it. You know, that part of, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me, they didn't hear that end of it. So, I'm following Jesus, and all of a sudden, now you're telling me it's about, it's about taking up crosses? <laughs> Thanks. Love you. Have a nice day. Okay. They fall away. The third seed, verse 14, is that which fell among the thorns. And it stands for those who hear the word, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Note again that this third group also apparently is following Jesus. The, the second and third group, they're, they're both following him. They hear the word of God, they receive it with joy, and they're on the way. And then all of a sudden, the worries of life. Riches, pleasure, power. Oh, I didn't know I had to go sell all my possessions and follow you. I, I, I thought I could just follow you and have my possessions. I thought I could follow you and have my power. I thought I could follow you and, and have... I, I, I get the best of both worlds. And now... You're telling me I've got to surrender that? No. No. Yeah, you know, have a nice day. It was good. It was good knowing you. But we're done. The fourth soil, verse 15, is the seed that's on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering they produce a crop. And what's important, of course, first off, is that it's only the fourth soil that actually produces fruit. All right, now, this took me years and years to figure out, by the way, but I finally like, oh, yeah, guess what? All right. You see, we often think, okay, the first soil is, you know, the, the roadside, the birds snatch it, they don't listen at all. Okay, the second, third, and fourth soils all bear a plant, but only the fourth one bears fruit. Okay, that's the first thing to understand. Um, but the, the, the second one is the, the rocky soil and, and, and persecution, suffering. Oh, I didn't know I had to do all that. I'm, I'm done. The, the third one is the thorns begin to choke it away. Life's worries and pursuit of wealth and money and power. And, oh, I didn't know I had to give all that up. To, uh, I'm done. And we think, oh, the fourth soil is a good soil. But here's, the, I think, what the thing that Jesus would have wanted us to understand that is the good soil still has stones in it. The good soil still has thorns in it. The good soil is the one who produced the fruit despite the stones, despite the thorns. That in the midst of suffering and persecution, they still bore fruit. In the midst of the life worries of power and pleasure, they still bore fruit. It wasn't that they had all the stones or no thorns. It's a troublesome life. It's difficult, uh, and it still bore fruit. Now, one of the questions we ask is, what does good fruit look like? Right? What does good fruit look like? 
Right? And the reason why we need to keep reading is because that's where we find the answer. If we stop at verse 15, okay, we got the four soils, we got the interpretation of the parable, we're, we're done. But Jesus doesn't stop. And Luke doesn't want us to stop. Verse 16, no one lights a lamp. Notice there's no transitions, there's no new settings, no new scenes. He goes straight from the, from the foresoil to no one lights a lamp. Luke doesn't want us to stop reading. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand. So that those who come in can see the light, for there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what, he ha even what they think they have will be taken from them. See, I think we stop too often at the end of verse 15. And we go, okay, good. So here's the moral of the story. Follow Jews and be good soil. And what does good soil mean? Well, it means um, not lying. Um, uh, telling the truth. Uh, loving my neighbor. Uh, don't swear. Don't drink. What's that? Also, you know, don't swear, don't drink, and don't date the girls that do or something like that. Okay, yeah, right. right yeah. That's what being a good soil is. But Jesus doesn't define the good soil by being morally good or being a good person. He goes on to say, look, here's what the good soil looks like. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, when this parable is referred to, all right, uh, the Greek says, a lamp is coming not to be put under a bushel. Now, the problem is this, is lamps don't come. Right? How does a lamp come? So, all of our English translation says, a lamp is brought. As if someone's carrying a lamp. But we realize immediately what's going on. The lamp is Jesus. The lamp is coming. Here he comes. And I'm not coming to be hidden. I'm coming to be put on display. So if you take the lamp, don't put it under a bed. Put it on the stand so that everyone can see the light. But here's what happens as soon as you put the lamp on the stand. Persecution and suffering. Because the lamp is Jesus and the proclamation is Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and everyone says, no, I don't like that King, I want my own. I, don't, I like Caesar. I like money. I like power. I like wealth. I like pleasure. And suffering comes because we put the lamp on the stand. So the good soil, what makes the good soil good is what they do with the word. What makes the good soil good is what they do with the word. The lamp is hidden. Uh, excuse me. The lamp is not to be hidden means that we must take the message of Christ to the world. In other words, Jesus' answer is, look, I'm sowing the, the seeds. Some of you are going to receive it, but the question is, is what are you going to do with it? What do you do with the soil? If you go, with, with the seed, if you go out and spread it to others, great, but oh, guess what? It isn't going to be good for you. Do you understand that? But the ones who continue to spread it, even when it brings trouble and trials and hardships in your way, guess what? That's the good soil. Verse 19, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. He replied, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Notice again, Jesus is telling us what the good soil looks like. Now, why does, 
Jesus redefines family, by the way, in this passage. is extremely significant theologically. Family is no longer a descendant of Abraham. Family is now defined as the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. All right, and what Jesus means by that is this. You guys think because you're Jewish, you're okay. You think because you have Abraham as your father, you're the good soil. I'm here to tell you, some of you are so deceived by the devil that you don't even hear the words I have to say because the birds snatch it away. Now, mind you, by the way, if he went on to explain to them that the birds represent the devil, they would have killed him immediately. But notice that explanation only comes to those who have ears to hear, namely the disciples, who say, Jesus, what does the parable mean? But some of you think you're the good soil because, but, but you really, you won't give up your power, your pleasure, your wealth, and your riches. You've got to plant, but there's no fruit. Some of you think you're the good soil, but as soon as trials and tribulations and, and persecution come, you fall away. No, the good seed and the good soil is the one that proclaims the word of God and endures rocks and thorns. It's no longer a matter of what nationality, race, or gender, or anything else you are. Now, the one who hears the word of God and put it into practice, those are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. All right, now we ask ourselves the question, what does this mean for us today? And again, what I first want us to do is to stop uh, uh, and step back for a moment because our immediate reaction is, well, which soil am I and how do I know what soil I am and what does this mean for me? And, and, and we can't do that yet. The first thing I want, to ask us, uh, I want us to ask is the question of, why did Jesus tell this parable? You see, a, a, an important step in improperly interpreting this passage has to go with, why was Jesus telling this parable to his disciples? I believe this is the most important parable in the Gospels, and I, and I believe that because the Gospel of Mark kind of tells us so. Mark only has two parables in the entire Gospel, and this is the key central one. This is it. This is the key. Why did Jesus tell this parable to his disciples? And, and I think the reason why is this. Imagine Jesus' disciples who've been following him along for three and a half years. For three and a half years, Jesus, you know, three and a half years ago, Jesus comes up to the Sea of Galilee and says, hey guys, come follow me. And they jump out of the boats and begin to follow him. Matthew get, leaves the tax collector's booth and says, I'm, I'm in, Jesus, I'm following you. For three and a half years, he raised a dead uh, a, a woman's son, raised a little girl from the dead. He fed 5,000 with a kid's lunch, and then he fed 4,000. And then he walked on water, and he calmed the storm. And he taught good things like love your neighbor as yourself, and and, 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 and the neighbor is the one who, who, who cares for, the, for, for those who need help and, 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 and do good and, 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 and love one another. We were following him and all was well. And there were crowds following him. I mean, he fed 5,000 because when Jesus preached, he filled a mega church. He had 5,000 following him. But when you get to the end of the three and a half years, how many are following him? The crowd who on Sunday shouted, Hosanna, 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 on Friday are shouting, crucify, crucify, crucify. It doesn't make any sense. What's going on? The disciples, after three and a half years, are going through a problem here. And that is, we had thousands of people following Jesus, and now we have like a dozen. Well, actually, we only have 11, because Judas went off and killed himself. I think Jesus is telling the parable for his disciples' sake so that they might understand, look, not everyone who hears the word and seems to receive it with joy is actually receiving the word. Not everybody that you proclaim the gospel to is going to receive it. Some don't even want to hear it. 
And you need to understand this, Matthew and, and, and John and James and Bartholomew. You need to understand what's going on because there's going to come a time when these crowds aren't going to be following us any longer. And the question is, are you going to be the good soil or not? What are you going to do with the word? I think one of the reasons why Jesus told the parable is, of course, to help his disciples understand what's going on and what was going to go on. Why so many people left. But the next question then becomes this. Okay, great. Well, then why did Luke include the parable in the Gospel of Luke? Now we know why Jesus told the disciples, but why didn't Luke tell us? Think about it. The Gospel of John says that Jesus did so many things that I suppose the whole world wouldn't contain enough books if we were to tell you about them all. That means that we now have to ask ourselves the question, if Jesus did all these things that could fill like billions of books, why did Luke tell us this story and not that story? Why did Matthew tell us those stories and not those stories? Why did, John, right? why did the gospel writers tell us the stories they told us? Luke told us this one for a purpose. And I think one of the reasons why Luke tells us a story, of course, is to remind the early Christians of the same thing the disciples had to be reminded of. And that is, there's going to be a season where you're going to have crowds and masses and everything's going to be great. But as soon as hardship comes, we're going to find out who the wheat and the chaff are. We're going to find out who those who, who really understand and believe and are following, who really say, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I freely give. Because good fruit is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus isn't well received by the world who has their own lords. Because remember, the gospel is Jesus is Lord. For, for Jesus, being the good soil means that we make him known regardless of the cost. So I think this parable explains why so people fo continue following Jesus after the cross. But I think it also now is a key to understanding the New Testament. Paul writes letters to churches and James writes letters to churches who are struggling with, with the masses that are in and then there's all this tension in there. And sometimes we can understand this tension is because not everybody has fully committed to the gospel of Jesus, uh, I'm in, until I realized what the cost was. And now we realize why this is such a difficult sermon to preach. Because we all begin to ask ourselves, well, wait a minute. What does this mean for me? You know, how do I, how do, how do I know? And my exhortation to you, my encouragement to you would be this. Just keep following Jesus. Just keep following Jesus. That's all that matters. Right? We all put ourselves on these, you know, I grew up in a Baptist church. I got saved like every other week, right? You know how that works, right? And some of you know, know what I mean. Whether, whether, and I'm not putting the Baptist church down when you might have grown up in a Presbyterian church and got saved every other week. You know, as you're young, you're like, okay, am I really, you know, do I really believe? Do I really believe? Do I really believe? That's not the point. The point is, go sow the seed. The point is, just go sow the seed. Go sow, and, 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 and don't worry about the cost. Because there will be a cost. See, I think this parable is extremely important for understanding the nature of the church today. Especially the church in the West. If you read the popular atheists who began writing in the late 1990s, uh, um, early 2000s, Richard Dawkins and Richard Hitch, uh, uh, Christopher Hitchens and these guys, if you heard their names, the popular atheists made, started selling books all, all around the world. You know, why, you know, why Christian, you know, God is not so great was one of the titles of, I think, Christopher Hitchens' books. Okay. 
One of their main arguments, of course, is the hypocrisy of the church. That's their key argument. Look at the church. It, it says this, but it does this. Look at all the bad things that are done in the name of the church. My first response, by the way, would be, first off, as Christians, we need to fess up and admit. We've done a lot of bad things. We've made a lot of mistakes. Crusades. Probably not one of our shiny moments. We didn't speak up during the Holocaust. Not one of our shiny moments. We were really late to the game on slavery. Not one of our shiny moments. We could go on for a while. We, don't, all right. we need to acknowledge that the church has done a lot of really bad things. But here's the point, and that's this. If the church is wrong because of all the bad things it does, then the church must be right because of all the good things it does. The argument doesn't fly. But here's the reality. The good far outweighs the, the bad. The church has fed more people, clothed more people, housed more people, took in more orphans, took in more refugees than all other groups in the history of the world. We built more hospitals, more schools, more feeding, than all the groups in the history of the world combined. If you want to say the church is bad because of all the bad things it does, then you have to admit the church is pretty darn good because of all the good things it does. But the next thing we have to understand, the fact is this. As long as it's easy to be in the church, as long as there's no cost involved, there's no thorns or stones. There's going to be three soils that's going to be hard to distinguish themselves from one another. And I think we have that reality. Now, some of you are like, well, you're not actually advocating that like the best thing that could happen for us is persecution. I think it is. I think the best thing that could actually happen to the church historically is persecution and suffering. Now, I'm not one of those crazy people like, dear God, please bring us persecution tomorrow. No, okay, thank you. But we have to understand the fact that we have a watered-down gospel and a watered-down church, and I think we need to mourn and grieve over it. And I'm not speaking of this church, I'm speaking of Christendom. We need to grieve over it. And then we need to also recognize one last thing, because I haven't been looking at my notes for like half an hour, um, one last thing, and that's this, and that is there are Christians around the world, and even ourselves, who have stones every day because they proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are Christians who are struggling with thorns every day. And maybe our task is to come alongside them as well. So as we read this parable and worry about what soil I am, my answer to you is just follow Jesus and sow the word. Sow the word. And all will take care of itself. The lamp has come. The king has come. And he's not come to be hidden, but to be put on a lampstand. Let's pray. Father, as we go to a time of prayer now, the application of this is real simple. We cannot sit on the word of God. We cannot sit on the seed that you have given to us. You've given us seed that is to be sown amongst the nations. <coughs> Help us to sow it well. Help us to sow the seed in love. Help us to sow the seed not in judgment or condemnation, but with grace and mercy, the same grace and mercy that you gave to us. Help us to know that the word of God is probably more active and alive in our lifestyle than it is in our words. Help us to know, Lord Jesus, that everywhere we go, even in this room, 
But certainly as we leave this room, whether it's the grocery store, whether it's the restaurant, whether it's our neighborhood, whether it's back to the office on Monday or the school, or wherever we might be, we are called to sow seeds. We are never off duty. And so, Lord, right now as we stop, put in our minds and in our hearts names of individuals that you have called us to preach the gospel to in love, in compassion, in gentleness, with respect. Maybe we're just called to build a relationship with them for months and months and months before we ever begin telling them about Jesus. Knowing that just our lifestyle is telling them everything we need to tell them about Jesus. Put on our hearts, Lord, that cashier. Put on our hearts, Lord, that waiter or waitress. Put on our hearts, Lord Jesus, that mailman. Put on our hearts that neighbor, that mom and her kids. That, that kid next door that's a delinquent just needs Jesus. And you put us next door to them. You sat us next to them on a bus or on an airplane. We stood behind them, in front of them, in a line. And Lord, help us to sow seeds. Lord, we pray for the church around the world. And we know, Lord, that we've made a lot of mistakes. And for that, we're sorry. And we ask, Lord, that by the power and grace of your Holy Spirit, not only will we have forgiveness in you, but that we would now go out and just make an even greater difference for the world for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, our brother in Turkey who is still being held captive by the Turkish government, the pastor being held on ridiculous charges for more than a year now, I believe. May he be set free. But Lord, may he bear fruit even though the stones are encroaching all around him. And for Karuna Kar and our brothers and sisters in India who preach the gospel in some parts of the country where it's illegal because the radical Hindus are killing them. And for the Christians in Iran who can't go to church so they have church in their home by, via satellite television. Lord, bless them and strengthen them and encourage them. I thank you for my brothers and sisters, Lord, who are in this room this morning. It's been a privilege to be serving amongst them for four years now and to see their faithfulness and their lives and their stories of what they've done and what you've done through them. And I just pray, Lord, just now that you just re-energize us again, encourage us again, light a fire in us again, that the Stitch in Time ladies would continue to reach out the Northminster women will continue to reach out and do what they're doing and that we would reach kids and youth and families. That we'd be there for one another as we're getting older and hurting and struggling. Just help us to sow seeds. And when a messenger of Satan is given to us, as Paul said, to torment us, and we say, Lord, take it away from us. Your response is going to be that your grace is sufficient for us. 
And we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. We pray your mercy and your grace upon us now. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.